you have successfully managed to claw your way into the Casa Berenice Recordings Podcast, Episode 9. This podcast is our way to release multi-tracked recordings from house concerts that we host in our living room. We being Clay Chaplin and Heather Lockie, and including our Claude friends Xenotron, Buzzy, Nemesis, and Fluff Nugget. This episode features a performance by Heather Lockie and Laura Steenberge performing their arrangements of folk songs. It was recorded live at a Casa Berenice house show on Saturday, October 5th, 2019. Stick around after the performance for an interview with Heather Lockie and Laura Steenberge. And now, here's Heather Lockie and Laura Steenberge singing and playing viola and viola da gamba.
Then fare thee well, my own true love. Then fare thee well for a while. For the ship is a waiting and the wind blows free. And I am bound away to the sea, Mary And I am bound away to the sea. Sitting on the pine, he's mourning the loss of his own true love. As I now mourn for mine, my dear Marianne. As I now mourn for mine, my dear Marianne.
the only life I know. Tell me where will I go? Tell me where will I go? I'm Heather Lockie. I'm a performer composer. I sing, I play the viola, write songs, and various other kinds of music. And in this project, I'm singing and playing viola. I'm Laura Steenberg. I'm a performer and composer as well. I play a bunch of different instruments and write music in different styles. And for this project, I sing and play viola da gamba. I met you, Heather, at Timber Space in Echo Park. That must have been 15 years ago, and you were playing with Listing Ship, and I was really excited to see this group with these string instruments and all these women singing in harmony together. And afterwards, you came up to me and said, you look familiar. Do we know each other? And I said, no, I think we just look like the kind of people who would know each other. And you said, I'm Heather, I play viola and I tutor English. And I said, I'm Laura, I play the upright bass and I study linguistics. And then a week later, it turned out you needed a sub for listing ship for bass. And then we've been playing music together ever since then. There's an intersection of our interests that is really like similar. But then there's other things that we do that I don't think are so related. I mean, we're both pretty diverse. Like the performance that you're doing these days, I think is like beyond diverse. <laughs> it's just really effective and awesome. But then you have this whole other side of you that's like, really into folk songs and really into writing your own music, which I don't know if you perform that much right now. Not in terms of songs. I feel like that has ebbed and flowed and sometimes I can't pull that part of me out. Like sometimes I can't sing songs. And recently I've been able to feel that coming back and I'm really happy about it. So doing this performance or having this project. It's not just really great to be making these arrangements with you, but it's larger than that. It's like finding my singing voice coming back in a new way and feeling like I'm in a different chapter of life. You know, like I can't sing the same words that I could sing before, or if I do, I have to figure out how to sing them again because I'm perhaps a different yeah. person. But I also, I, I like, thinking about your question, Clay, there's a bit of, like, a um, superhero origin story in here that, like, oh, Heather and I both like to sing songs and sing in harmony, but that's because I learned how to sing in harmony from doing music with Heather. It's just been so far back that's now so that weird. now I know <laughs> how to do it. But, I mean, I directly learned how to start thinking about that from working with you and maybe I had the 
like you know being a bassist I like can think in terms of chords like on the spot but I had just never occurred to me that I could use my voice to apply that same kind of logic to singing and the concept that you could improvise harmonies like on the spot that was something I saw you being able to do and then I was like oh I I could learn how to do that too but it had never occurred to me before that whoa that's crazy I mean you already told me that a while ago but when you told me that it totally blew my mind because I learned how to improvise harmonies from Kim and Karen Leong when I was in seventh grade and we had this long half hour walk to junior high together and we were all in orchestra and we were really little nerds and weren't very good conversationalists so we would whistle our orchestra parts together and then we would get bored of the orchestra parts and we'd start making up stuff but it was all in whistling and they were twins so we had three parts that we could just kind of in our own like little very basic seventh grader way start doing that (laughs) so that's where I started figuring out harmonies and how we could just do our own harmonies if we felt like it I think it's somewhat based in our history because I always really liked the songs that you would write and I always would want to show you the songs that I was writing and whenever I'd be working on something else, something new, I'd be like, oh, I can't wait to show this to Laura. And then I would, when I felt like it was like at a ready point, I'd be like, time to show it to Laura. So we would get together and share songs and talk about sometimes some of the nerdier elements of songwriting and performing. And then other times we would get together and just fuck off and improvise. And, you know, you're one of the people that I really love to do that with. And it may not happen for years, but when it does, it's fun. And I always know that, like, at some point, we're going to do that again down the road. (laughs) It's one of those musical relationships. Yeah. Another thing comes to mind, like, when we're directly collaborating, something I really like about it is a way that I feel like our brains are different from each other. And... I can try to put that into words. I don't know. I tend to some kind of oversimplified gestalt view of things. And yeah, it's hard to put into words. But when I think about you, I think about you as having this, these like particular visions. And it's like, you'll be like, I don't know why, but I'm thinking about this one crazy little image, this little thing. And it feels to me like it's, placing like a tack somewhere in space and it's like Mm. out there it's like you know and we're like okay let's like put that spot there now how do we get there you know how and um yeah maybe it's like the the universal versus the specific or something like that Mm. and i'm imagining like you is drawing these like intricate patterns and like weaving things and then like i'm finding like the big container I'm like drawing like the circle around it that makes that pattern stand out or you know something like that that totally makes sense I haven't been aware of this but it makes a lot of sense I identify with the tag thing a lot um and I'm aware when you're like 
how can we get there? <laughs> and I kind of know when you're doing that, but I don't necessarily like, think about it when we're like making something. Mm. Yeah, I think I like solving problems, but I'm not always the best at like selecting the right problem to solve or having the thing in my mind. But once there is something, I like reacting to the environment that I'm in. And mm. so I feel like your imagination is just like always bringing these ideas and mm. at first I might sometimes I think okay like okay um <laughs> right like don't say no like um and then like I sit on it a little while and I'm like oh oh my gosh I think I I think I see how this could all fit together I think I think it yeah I see I see where it's like all can be in the same universe same together path. yeah yeah it probably wouldn't work so well if you had two tack envisioners trying to work on like a project together or two container drawers working on the same project because then you just would have like a really big container or a lot of tacks <laughs> well if you get a big enough container it can be a bathtub and we both really like to take baths that's so true could be baths are a very important part of yeah. the creative process yeah Another thing that I really like about working with Laura is that she's like a really good musician who likes to sing, but you're not a trained singer. And I'm not a trained singer. And I do this thing too. I would probably obsess over it a lot more than I should. I, I should just go like get more vocal lessons or something. But one of my great joys is working with sounds that I can make. And I like the qualities of your voice that are untrained. And that's something that's like you can't always find in musicians. Mm. Yeah, I always believed when I was younger that I just had the kind of voice that couldn't be a singer. Mm. And it was really special to me at some point to realize, like when I was a teenager and I started writing really dumb songs, but after a few years, I could notice that my voice was like a little bit better than it had been. You know, that just the act of singing regularly will make your voice somehow a more version of itself. And so that's like really important to me that just that I can do it at all. And so all of the things that we talk about, like thinking about the shape of your mouth and everything and these were things that I I wouldn't know you know these are things I learned from singing with you and I you know think about this a lot like when I encounter other people who express some kind of deep reservation about singing and that they can't sing and you know like I just like knowing that it's possible for anybody, you know, yeah. that I could just spend time with my voice and figure out how to do something with it. And I appreciate what you're saying, and I'm glad that you're okay with my voice. Yeah, I really <laughs> like your voice. <laughs> well, we've been working on these arrangements on and off, you know, for a couple of years, informally, but we would just get together and play music and then you know, be like, let's play this song. And I mean, that's how a lot of arrangements just start by playing them and having fun with them. Um, and then at a certain point, 
I was really liking what we were playing around with. And then at another certain point, we were like, let's make these more solid. And then we should write them down and then we should perform them. And then we didn't have time to actually work on the arrangements and learn to play them. So then we made a little residency for ourselves and went to a cabin on the beach and worked on them for a couple of days. And that was really helpful towards solidifying them. Yeah, like a lot of folk songs, you don't really have to arrange them. You can just sort of like do it. Play them. But the way these were coming together is they're kind of Baroque, you know, they're like pretty particular. So every time we'd meet up and we'd be like trying to remember these very specific details. (laughs) And so that's just the direction that these are going in is that we're really enjoying actually composing these as like specific arrangements of these songs and that's like a certain kind of manifestation of folk music and so if we're gonna take it in that specific way then we should just take it to the end point of that and really learn those nuances and so having this performance last night was like the impetus to really crystallize and have certainty about all the little twists and turns and this is like our first time to really present those for people and feel what it's like you know Mm -hmm. and it's like now they're crystallized and now there's this next stage right Mm -hmm. where like it can sink deeper and deeper into my body like like ruts like like wagon wheel ruts kind of thing and then i think when that starts to happen like it's like maybe like a curing process or something oh yeah that that then these arrangements themselves are going to be a scaffolding and they're going to start to like twist and turn and change as we like sink deeper into Mm -hmm. them and so i'm just so happy to be at this point in the process and seeing you know, having this vision of what's going to happen over the next year as we Mm -hmm. continue to work with them. Yeah. When we were playing last night, um, I felt this really glassy kind of fragile quality to some of the newer songs that we have not played for years. And then there was a couple songs that we've played longer We've done so many versions of Hairs on the Mountain. So many versions of Hairs on the Mountain. It's kind of funny, but that's the song that is in us because we've been playing it in some incarnation. I've played it sometimes with you on and off over the years. and I never had gotten like super comfortable with what I was playing until we sat down and like worked on it for a long time. Yeah, I do think of all of the things, that's the one that plays itself the most, or that's how it comes out as an arrangement, as like mm-hmm. a song that just plays itself. We're like, mm-hmm. we just do these chords and we just... Well, you know. there's so many ways of approaching a song. Like, like I feel like Aragon Mill kind of played itself last night too, but we didn't do anything. We just sang it. Like there's no arrangement. There's just a vocal harmony and like some wispy viola sounds and a really solid beautiful gamba part that's very simple yeah but i think that finding the right like groove ew um for for these songs (laughs) like uh the point where it starts to feel simple is a little bit take some trial and error right i mean for me with the gamba i've been playing a few years now but it's not it's like anytime i do something new on it i have to find that 
right? And it's like, I still have so much to learn about playing this instrument and I'm still so limited by what I can play and um, which I would like my ability to keep expanding, you know? But like, there was some questions when we were started working on Aragon Mail, like how sing-songy should, like how much swing should there be to mm -hmm. the, to the accompaniment and right. the same thing with crossing muddy waters like the way that you sing it and the general feel has been kind of the same from the start and like those harmonies like we kind of mm -hmm. nailed that all yeah, out really early ago, that's true but it wasn't until really recently that sort of finger picking group which mm -hmm. i feel great about but I don't yet have the ability to play that really solidly. And so it's like aspirational right. to perform <laughs> it like that. But once we found that, it was like that. This is the way that's it should the be. simple groove yeah. that will like rest underneath the way we mm -hmm. know the song should feel. Right. And so then now we have to, grow I have into to the get the chops to play it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, you know, the performance last night, Emily and Daniel were performing too, and I started performing folk music with Emily and Daniel and Ezra and, and you, you know, this was all about 15 years ago of, there wow. was just a kind of I did not know that that started happening right about then. Yeah. Because I met you guys and that's what you kind of were doing. So I kind of thought that that had just always been happening. Yeah, I mean, different people had their different eras and artists that they gravitated towards in terms of what kind of songs that they would learn. But also, I think I'm just really interested in anonymity in music. And so songs, folk songs is like one branch of that. Just the idea of how a song gets shaped and altered through the centuries and all of those different mouths that sing it and shape it. It's like its like a rock tumbler. Oh yeah, um, that's a great concept. Yeah, and, and, and knowing that we have the agency to change the words. I remember when I was younger feeling like I didn't have the words to communicate. I would have some friends I would sing folk songs with and they would be like, I think that it's this word here and I think that it's this chord here. And I was like, oh, that's, I didn't realize that that, that didn't seem right to me. Some, like, can't you just change whatever you want about it? Or um, like, that seems important. That's just like a way that human superorganism communicates with itself, that you take something familiar and you can increase the likelihood of communicating your, your thought or your meaning because you have this shared context and that, that one little tweak you mm -hmm. make is going to be apparent to you know somebody else yeah. who's familiar with that sound yeah a couple of weeks ago i was poking around on the internet trying to find because i knew we were going to do this show and and i was trying to find definitive places that at least like a couple of the songs came from and i have not been able to find anything definitive like i did find out that a couple of the tunes are attributed to alabama and north carolina which i just thought they were straight from england so I learned a couple of things, but none of this is really verifiable. And it just seems like they go back and back and back. And the fact that people have changed them over the course of time or changed the words or added a verse here or taken away a verse there makes me really happy <laughs> because 
taking this song that's clearly meaningful to people over hundreds of years and having them feel like it's personal enough to them that they can change it and adapt it to what they want to say is probably the main reason I'm interested in folk music. And it's a really interesting line, like, when is that okay to do that? Like, I wouldn't go change a lot of music, necessarily. <laughs> but with folk songs, I don't feel like that's... I feel like it, it's part of the history of that tradition, that it will get changed, and it will keep on being changed over, you know, the future of the song. And that's maybe a roundabout compliment to the song. I remember someone asked me about the Elizabeth Cotton song, Freight Train. They were like, oh, what street do you say? Because she says, like, way down on Old Chestnut Street. And it had never occurred to me before that, oh, like, that's a thing. it could be a game where you change it to the name <laughs> to of a street that's familiar street. to you. But I think that's another example of a song that has a clear author, but sounds like mm -hmm. a classic song that seems as though you could adapt it. I have another thought about folk songs. Um, it's that I have a really strong memory of who introduced me to almost every folk song that I know. And I mean, some of it might come from books or from, you know, like Hairs on the Mountain, I learned about that song through Adrian Tenney. So I can't think about that song without being aware oh. that that's the person that like gave that song to me and that's another thing I like about folk songs is feeling like this social web like there's this little totally. there's this person that comes w with, with the song that that with the song yeah I yeah. love that I'm Laura Steenbert and you can follow me on Instagram at imaginary music and my website is laurasteenbergeportfolio.com. I'm Heather Lockie, and you can hear more of my music at marshweed.bandcamp.com. I'm on Instagram at marshweedinthegarden, and also you can follow various doings and comings and goings at heatherlockie.com. Thank you for joining us on the Casa Berenice Recordings podcast. We would like to thank the musicians for performing and our lovely community here in Northeast LA for attending our concerts. For more information about our house concerts or our current release catalog, please visit our website, casabaranicerecordings.com. And thank you for listening.